When I got out of MLM, I was overwhelmed by shame, regret, guilt, and loneliness. But sharing my story has helped free me up, and I want to invite you to do the same, either publicly or anonymously, as a catalyst for your healing. The From Huns to Humans podcast is a proud supporter of the hashtag I Got Out movement. Learn more and find resources at igotout.org. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey hun, it's me, Danielle. I'm a licensed clinical mental health counselor, and I'm here to talk about all the ways multi-level marketing and mental health do not mix. It is important to know that this podcast is not meant to diagnose or for treatment. This podcast is based off of personal experiences and opinions, and is meant to educate and entertain. Now sit back and start healing with me on this episode of From Huns to Humans. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of From Huns to Humans. I am really excited today to collaborate with Lisa from I Got Out. Um, if you've noticed, I have the, the bumper on the beginning of the episodes for this month. We are working with I Got Out to help share more stories, and I'm excited to hear part of Lisa's story and why I Got Out got started. Um, so welcome, Lisa. Hi, Danielle. Thanks for having me here. It's uh, really great to be working with you this month. Yeah. Meeting you and the rest of the Huns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Huns who are now human. <laughs> they, yes. Yes. Uh, definitely peeling out of that, uh, that Hun bot shell and that automatic send everyone messages, always be positive. And now we're human. We have all emotions and we're allowed to, you know, keep our traumas to ourselves or share when we need to share them and not manipulate people <laughs> by using our traumas. So uh, all parts of shedding, shedding that uh, hunbot self, I guess. Right. Yeah, it's a, that is definitely an overlap of MLMs, the hunbot persona. Um, I have a a, my my story that when we first started, I got out within the first few weeks, I decided to share my story through video form. And uh, I made a, a YouTube video. It's the first time I'd ever done any kind of uh, video editing. But one of the things that 
you know, my writing the script for the for the um, video, I talked about shedding my my cult persona, you know, shedding that card. I called it my cardboard cutout of what you put up in front of yourself to interact with, you know, the the other people outside of the cult. Um, and even to the people inside the cult, you know, I had a personality that wasn't mine. Um, it's definitely the journey of finding your voice instead of reading from the script, whatever the script might be, if it's an MLM or a new age cult like I was in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there any part of your cult short cult story that you are willing to share with us today and what that looks like and maybe some of the similarities that you've heard about from uh you know working with like me and Roberta and Michelle yeah so um I got into my cult when I was 19 so you know they say that that adults don't really form their personalities, their their actual autonomous selves until late 20s, early 30s. And I definitely, I mean, even while it was happening, when I was, you know, becoming more and more attached to this group, I saw myself taking on the personality of the leader and reflecting what it was that that he wanted the people that were in the group to, to be. And that's, uh, you know, for me, my group is very small, very insular. It started out a little bit bigger. And when I started going to this group, it was for classes. And then within five years, I moved into the cult leader's house. Um, and then it, after I moved in, it was a progressive shrinking of the group to where, um, you know, it was a 30-year journey. So certainly we had all kinds of phases um, that the group went through. But um, You know, it's kind of interesting because it wasn't a hard sell. We didn't really try to sell it to anybody because once he had a core group of people that he felt he could work work with, um, you know, we would put on a show in the holidays and stuff and and present this this uh, you know, look at how our lifestyle is is so much better than what other people are doing so there was that idea of a hard sell but it, we weren't really trying to actively recruit people into the group so that's a little bit of a difference but um you know i think with mlms multi-level marketing commercial cults um there definitely is the idea that you want more people to join and be under you. And so there, that's a big difference between my personal experience, but in working with, I got out, I've certainly been exposed to all kinds of different groups. And that's an aspect that I would say is 
fairly parallel in most of these organizations and religions. Yeah. Uh, another thing that you had mentioned um, was the your personality kind of solidifying in your mid-20s, uh, working into your 30s. And that is absolutely something that I, I talk about with uh, my clients and stuff and uh, like neurodevelopment and all of that stuff. But I think it's also really interesting too, because now a lot of multi-level marketing companies on, on our side of the, on the multi-level marketing side of cult culture um, are now targeting these really young, young teens, kids that are just getting out of college. Um, and it's really scary and it's really hard because, you know, we, I, one of the things I brought up at the multi-level marketing conference that we had this year, uh, was that we don't have any material to like educate, educate kids. Like these kids are getting out of school and they're like going into college and they need money Mm -hmm. and they're all getting targeted and losing money. And then also, I've also seen similar pathways of what you've described of people end up living at their uplines houses and becoming like live in nannies and things like that. I've had a couple of people on the show tell me that. And also what you said about like your personality becoming like your leader. Um, I think that that's also very similar to what happens in multi-level marketing too, um, which is, you know, you become this like toxic, positive person that your upline is and they learned it from their upline, you know, and like, we're all just carbon copies mm-hmm. of each other trying to make the world a better place. <laughs> right. Well, um, boy, you opened about up a bunch of different topics there. I could go in all kinds of directions. The, the idea of needing to educate our kids, really it has to start really young of being able to um, live in the environment where demands are that they conform to, to fit in with their friends while supporting pers- you know, a healthy personality development and you know, what I see is so much, um, there's such a template for uh, fitting in with religion. You know, the people brought up in religions are made to fit a certain mold. Um, It's a big question of, of how do we support children to grow up to be autonomous humans able to recognize the red flags that come at us in all directions you know primarily right now social media oh my god it's a beast um you know i see just kind of the capture of young young minds young young bodies in these in these controlling environments um um yeah and like so I don't know if you've ever listened to the podcast sounds like a cult that Amanda Montel and Issa Medina do um but I think that's what I was thinking about while you were talking is that you know they talk about all of these like parts of our culture that can become culty 
And mm -hmm. I think that that is such a nuanced part of this conversation too, is that when we're talking about kids, like we need to talk about like the whole range of red flags of like some, like, so they did an episode on the cult of Taylor Swift, like Taylor Swift is a pop star. Like, you know, mm -hmm. um, she's not, I mean, as far as I know, she's not like doing, doing anything like that. Um, but you know, there are people that are extremely devoted to her. I, I'm definitely a Taylor Swift fan. I am very excited for her tour, but you know, I think that there is like this whole range of people that absolutely in our culture. And I'm just using Taylor Swift as an example. There are the people that take it way too far and, it becomes more and more cult-like as you get down that spectrum in our society of things. And social media kind of drives that because you can find these communities and then all of a sudden it becomes something that's not healthy and can be dangerous. Um, and you can take something so innocent like music and it becomes something catastrophic. Right. Yeah. It's, um, There's a lot to cover there, and a lot of it's really personal for me, too, right now, because of my, um, I have my 13-year-old granddaughter living with me for this year, and so I'm seeing the influence of the social media, the, the attachment to certain images to reproduce that image. I mean, I, I'm looking at you know, my, my granddaughter's TikToks basically um, possessing her, her mind of how she wants to reflect into the world. And, you know, at 13 years old, I mean, we're all trying to figure out who the hell we are, right? I mean, that's any 13-year-old's reality. But now when you have... Um, you know, the marketing of products, images, um, you know, all these things going into what kids digest. It's, um, you know, it's definitely an overlap with MLMs, multi-level marketing, and just commercial, the whole commercial consumerism beast that consumes all of us in a way yeah yeah absolutely um okay so I kind of butted into your story a little bit with my commentary um so I don't know if you wanted to circle back to where you left off or if you want to go yeah, ahead so being way. no 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 being being young and being um kind of sucked into a cult uh so I guess the thing the thing I would say is uh teaching if I I, I guess what I'm going to tell you is when when I decided that I got out and needed to be is when I realized that there really wasn't a platform or a resource that I would have been able to digest at 19 years old or that I 
could find solace in as I was getting out. And that was the main um, driver for starting I Got Out for me was that I would want to create the resource that was that in my mind I would have needed before I, I uh, got into my cult in the first place. So then the question is, you know, how do you make this information that's kind of overwhelming accessible to, to everyone. Right. And it's, it's the stories that do the work. It's the stories that, that a person can put themselves in each of these different scenarios to understand the mechanics of why people get into these, how it happens, because it's not a controlling situation when you get in. Right. It's the best thing in the world. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's that's what it was for me as a 19 year old. You know, I came into this group of people and I was like, oh, they're all so much older than me. They, they have all their, these life skills that I don't have. And I'm going to learn all these great things to, you know, be able to handle my life and, and do it better. And that's where, that's what I entered into as a 19 year old. And then, you know, it, it got, got really bad. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, eventually something takes a turn, right? And um and I think that the for the multi-level marketing community, the turn I mean there are so many, right? Like cuz I mean, we have just very basic stories of people just kind of like the classic financial being taken advantage of financially. Um and then, you know, I mean, I, Roberta had some stories uh, on uh, Life After MLM last year that were really scary. Like she had them during Halloween month and that they were they were particularly scary, like involving stalking and like all of these like, you know, really harmful things that were products of the way we were taught to conduct ourselves of being in an MLM, putting everything online and really having everything out there. So people knew things about you and could like exploit you in ways that you could never imagine were going to happen when you're doing something so innocently as selling shampoo or whatever. Um, so yeah. Um, but in- So the MLM, a multi-level marketing company is asking its promoters or people that that they're recruiting into it to basically share all. Yes. Right? To be an open book of, you know, this is what I do in the in the morning and here's my morning routine and look at this product and see how I use it and I'm, you know, in my towel or whatever. Mhm. Um you know, that's another culty parallel because in, in most cults, there is a, a kind of a through, through line of complete exposure. You know, in my cult, we, we did a lot of, um, I guess you would call it talk therapy, although the person running my group was 
not a trained professional, didn't have any therapeutic training, um, you know, but yet there's hot seat grilling that happens all the time. And, and, you know, especially after I moved in to his house and you talked earlier about, you know, people moving in to be nannies and, and whatnot, I moved in and I was his maid for 25 years. Yeah. And, you know, the position got elevated to house manager and, and, you know, I had more and more responsibilities as we, as we bought more properties and, but I was basically the maid for the whole time. And, you know, you talk about labor trafficking inside of these groups. Well, that happens in cults too. And it's, it's, uh, yeah, you, you give your service to the leader. Right. And, um, you know, and, and there's always kind of this carrot that's projected far off into the future of, you know, you do this work and you're going to reap this reward. Um, you know, it's a little different for me because of his abusive nature. The the carrots that were held was basically the reprieve from just his obnoxious personality. <laughs> he might be nice for a few minutes if you, if you do, if you please him. Right. And it's crazy, you know, and upon leaving to really realize the cycle that I was stuck in, you know, in, in this whole, um scene you don't really see what it is until you leave right the right. toxicity the you know that's always the biggest question well if you're so abused why didn't you leave right and um there's some interesting work that uh alexandra stein has done about um she calls it disorganized attachment and that is when the um, when you when when the trauma or the abuse is being delivered by the same person who then consoles you or makes you feel better, it causes like this really major cognitive dissonance and an attachment bond. And um, yeah, I had that. Yeah, <laughs> pretty bad. Yeah, um, that, that is definitely something I, I see more in my, my professional life, uh, for sure. Um, and it's very hard to work through. And I agree, it's way easier to see all of the red flags when you take a step back, because when you're standing in it, it's not red flags, it's a red blanket. Like you're like, this well, and it's great. just what you have to get through. Right. But yeah. I mean, for me, it was always, uh, you know, an idea of. So in new way, in the new age philosophies that were promoted in the 80s or the 90s, there is a, a big thing about the diminishment of ego and how. You know, and I think this is a carryover from religion, um, 
you know, Abrahamic religions or whatever religions that you give yourself up for God, you're a vessel for God, right? So you're giving away yourself so that you can be more of, you know, whatever religious thing you want to put on there. In my group, you know, it was spirit. It was, um, you know, evolving the soul, um, you know, but this idea that the more that you relinquish your self with a lowercase s, the more you can be, you know, selfless or more, you know, service minded. And I think it's a bunch of fucking bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, now that I take a step back, I see how that's used to leverage, you know, work, um, work out of people or idolization, you know, to, to get somebody to do, it's coercive. It's a coercive control mechanism. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, so what I'm wondering um, is you mentioned that there were some like ca like carrots, the positive things. I'm wondering, um, you know, what what the rose colored glasses, I guess, were telling you was good. Um, and also a, a little a little bit about how um, you kind of go from. And you can either use your personal experience or maybe what you've learned from I got out of like, how do you go from, you know, being a 19 year old to being all in like, like, mm -hmm. where is that line? And, you know, is there any like clear step that kind of people can look for that you notice in either in your experience professionally or right. personally? Right. That's a huge question because there is a shift from when you're being courted to, you know, you're, they call it the love bombing stage or whatever, when you're being asked to, um, you know, check something out or, or, uh, you're on the fringe you're on the outside, you're not on the inside yet, right? So what's the transition that gets you from the outside to the inside? And I think, you know, one thing that I think people do a lot is you're so special. You have a special calling. You're, you're the, you know, it's karma, you're the chosen, you know, you're part of, you, you, you fit with us and we're doing this great thing. You know, I can tell you a little story about, um, I guess one of the first times that I was like, it's so fucking corny. So I had gone to the classes. I'd been at the classes for probably six months six months a year and these classes were like um we did the first class I ever went to was breath work it was a rebirthing class and then he the the guy also offered um 
like, and we'll get into this. This is actually a really good topic. It was um, prosperity classes, but he also had relationship classes and nutrition classes. And he also taught body work. And so at any rate, um, I had been going to some classes. And when I met him, I was actually really um, kind of freaking out because I had a, a new baby I was you know the mother of a one-year-old and uh trying to figure out what the hell I was going to do with myself at 19 uh so I had a vulnerability just in that situation and I just needed some answers needed some direction some help whatever but he uh invited me out to dinner and first of all, I'm 19 years old. This guy's 37. Yep. That's, that's a lot. (laughs) That's a big wide, you know, it already is a, uh, imbalance just in, in, in that. So he took me out for sushi for the first time I'd ever had sushi. And this was, it was before sushi was a big thing. This was like 1986, 87. Uh, took me out for sushi and we're, you know, it's the nicest place I had ever been. And we're sitting there, I'm having some sake, I'm having my first sushi experience. You know, the moon was full. It was just like really kind of, and he had this charisma this energy about him that made me feel, you know, all tingly and stuff and the attention. It's, so I'm, I'm taking this all in and, you know, at 19 years old, I had, uh, had a baby and, you know, my body didn't take it so well, like some moms can just pop out a baby and it doesn't affect their bodies at all. It affected mine. And I don't know how he, I don't, we hadn't like been intimate at this point, right? But he had this thing where he said, um, maybe I had been complaining about it or I said something about it, whatever. But at dinner, he said that we had been that before in in a previous lifetime I had been a Roman princess and he knew this because he knew me from that lifetime (laughs) and that because of how cruel I was in a former life that's why now I'm having to learn humility in this life by having had you know my body impacted and stuff and you know that I it's ridiculous to think about this now but at 19 years old and being told by this man that everybody had you know placed you know was irreverent about um, to tell me that we had lived a, a past life together, that he knew me and that I was, you know, royalty in this, whatever, you know, and I had been um, in, interested in this kind of like the whole, pa- you know, idea of past lives. 
yeah. and spirituality. And, you know, so I had been exploring that on my own before I met him, his ideas. And so I bit, I took it, you know, I was like, okay, that makes sense. Yep. And, you know, from that, from that little interchange and experience and then being invited to become his maid that I could take more classes and work off, you know, the, the cost of the classes by doing this service for him, you know, that was an easy transition. Like, of course, I, I, I had a cleaning business. I had started a cleaning business, so oh, it wasn't like, perfect. you know, a foreign thing. It was something that I was already doing for for work. And so that was now I am now in his intimate space. I'm being allowed into, you know, his bedroom and bathroom and, and you know, intimate spaces. So it was, you're seeing this transition of um, just being an interested person on the fringe, right? And now I'm being invited in. Yep. And, you know, I've cleaned his house for a few years before moving into a, into his house. And then we had the idea, you know, well, you know, my daughter needs a, a stable place to, to live. And our group was kind of, um, I guess at the time it was still, there was still a lot of classes, but it, by the time we moved in, it was starting to kind of consolidate to less people. And um, yeah, at that point it was more, we were shifting from being um, a center that offered new age classes to more of a, what we would call an intentional family or, you know, at this point, and that's another thing is that there was also the idea that, um, and, and this is another strange overlap with like other cults, religious cults is that my quote unquote teacher would take stuff from, you know, the Bible or whatever, like, uh, and I never studied the Bible. I don't know anything really. I wasn't exposed to that as a kid, but this idea that you turn daughters against mothers and fathers against, or sons against fathers. Have you heard that? No, I haven't. Well, it's a thing that, that I think it's from the Bible, but I hear this a lot about these family relationships being replaced mm-hmm. by the group I and I think even that. like in in LuLaRoe I seem to remember that um Deanna liked to be called mama right yep. yeah in uh, multi-level marketing your um whoever it, it like gets you in your upline is you're so like when I was in Arbonne, it was my Arbonne mama. And then the person above her was my Arbonne grandmama. And then my great grandma and it, you know, you have your sidelines, which are your sideline sisters. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that the, the replacement of family connections is, um, you know, it's a real deal and it breaks it it broke my family apart 
you know, it's already, <clears throat> there was the space for it to be broken because of where I was at in life, you know, at 19 years old, nobody wants to hang out with their family, right? Right. So, you know, there was the room for that, but uh, it didn't have to stay that way, right? right? And that is, in fact, what happened. And even in the group, um, you know, raising my daughter in the group, our familial bond was also severed. So, you know, my daughter became just another one of the people in the group rather than, um, rather than, you know, having a familial bond and responsibility and connection with her. It was, it's so weird. That's really Um, interesting um, to hear that. I mean, that sounds kind of like what I know about Scientology too, right? Exactly. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. It was that sort of idea that, you know, that we're old souls and, and my daughter's an old soul and a young body and she has the same level of intelligence and, and understanding. She just is younger. And, uh, you know, we just got through doing a focus of the month on the children of God um, for October. And, you know, if people go back and look at some of the stories and they're actually all uploaded now onto the website too. Um, That was kind of a, a, tenant of that religion as well is this idea that kids um kids are just small adults and you know that's a whole different (laughs) topic I don't know if I want to venture into that yeah it was an I'll tell you it was a very intense month for me um you know some really bad things happened to kids that were raised in that cult and it, it um, touched a sore place for me because of stuff that happened inside of my group. Yeah. Um, So anybody that's listening to this conversation, if you do go into the stories on I got out um depending on when you actually listen to it there's a section of stories that are very very intense so most of them that are particularly intense have trigger warnings but um yeah the 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 content the range and this was a question that we talked about like before this conversation Danielle about um like the range of experience that can happen inside a coercive or a controlling group mm-hmm. and you know i will tell you that working with you guys on mlms after having the month of intensity that we had with october i was like oh thank god <laughs> what a breath <laughs> of relief but the thing about it is, is that the worst cult is the one that you're in. Right. 
It's, you know, and, and there is really no comparing of tragedies. Right. There's no, you know, the loss that you're feeling with, you know, being taken for a ride with an MLM and all the money invested and all the energy you put into doing this thing that was going to change your life that turned out to be a crock of shit, you know? Yeah. It's, it's as devastating of an experience as, you know, I don't know if I would say sexual abuse because that's really intense. That's a huge, huge trauma. And I know, you know, but I would say it's, it's real, it's a real disservice to hold you know, one trauma or one experience against another and compare it and say, I don't have a reason to speak out or, or tell my story or talk about what happened to me because it's not as bad as what happened to this other person. Right. You know, why am I whining? Why am I complaining? Right. And, you know, the fact of the matter is the same dynamics that got me into a 30 year foray in a high control group is the same dynamics that got somebody else into an MLM that got somebody else into a political cult or, or, you know, in a rabbit hole or whatever. It's like that there's, and that's also one of the reasons why with I got out, we actually, besides doing the focuses of the month, we, don't name specific people or groups in the stories that we allow our platform to be used for. Yeah. Um, you know, cause when you look at, and this, this happened kind of early on, um, kind of organically, we did uh, a focus of the month on the unification church, the Moonies. And you know, we put out a bunch of stories that we got from from different survivors, mostly second generation adults from that group. And one of the things that happened because we didn't say besides in the hashtags who the group, what the group was, is we had people from other high control groups identify the things that were happening to them in their situation and then learn that it was the movies. Yeah. Right. And, you know, because of the crazy visuals of the mass weddings and some of the prop, you know, some of the publicity that the Moonies had gotten, people identify the unification church as a cult, but Whereas, you know, somebody in, you know, some church somewhere in middle America doesn't think they're in a cult, but yet the same things are happening inside that, that system. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's been really interesting. And I think that it's been interesting. I mean, throughout your whole, our whole conversation today, I've been able to pull the things that you're talking about and say, well, like that's a parallel and this is a parallel and this is a parallel. And it's really like holding up a mirror, right. And being like, whoa, that's me. Right. And that goes back to 
you know, child education, you know, what do we need to do if, if the opportunity to have your life force siphoned into somebody else's agenda exists in all these different spheres, how do we prepare people to not fall in, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think this conversation and all of these conversations that are, I mean, I'm immersed in it. So I think they're happening everywhere, <laughs> right? Right. Uh, but I think that they're happening more now than ever before. Right. And... Well, cults are now trending, you know? The LuLaRoe documentary, documentary is out, out now, I think, were mainstream enough that people have started to get into that rabbit hole. And, they, and then I think you start with the LuLaRoe documentary and then you move to the vow and then you move to the Scientology documentary. And then, you know, you start going down this documentary hole and you learn more and more and more. And you're like, Oh my God, they're all the same. You mm-hmm. start with this seemingly in, like uh, innocent legging company. And then you went, you end up down, down a rabbit hole. Yeah, that was one of the things that I think was really effective about the first season of The Vow is how, and that was my watching that show was the um, seed that started I Got Out in Me. Really? Is, uh-huh. It was the, the fall of 2020, watching that show, seeing you know, basically that whole, you know, Nexium in a lot of ways had so many parallels to my group. It was kind of the same shtick. It was slightly different because mine was so small, but in the very beginning of my group, I think that, you know, the dude that led it kind of had the same sort of vision. We talked about, you know, us all, becoming um, teachers and being able to spread what it was that we were doing into different cities and we'd have different houses and people could, or centers and people could come and take classes from us. And anyways, that was like the carrot, one of the carrots that was early on. Uh, And of course that all dissolved as he got weirder or more um, self-serving, I should say. Um, But yeah, watching The Vow, uh, that that documentary, I think, really opened the conversation for a lot of people because of how relatable it was. And yeah, like, you know, Mark's line, it's infamous now, nobody joins a cult, they join a good thing, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so, and I also think the political cycle is bringing a lot of this to the forefront. Um, you know, I'm seeing more and more people understanding authoritarianism and what the, what the repercussions of that kind of uh, system of governance 
you know, when we look at what's happening in our own political system, we look at, I mean, have you been following any of the stuff that's happened in Iran? Um, is that with the hijabs? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's authoritarianism taken to its extreme. Absolutely. Right. So when you look at that kind of the system of control power over to the point where, you know, somebody gets killed for wearing a hijab wrong, that's, and that's nuts, but that's, that's where this kind of stuff can go to if it's left unchecked, right? When people are put into power and have, you know, ultimate authority over a lot of people. And that's, yeah. 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 So it's freedom. A- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, free. What, what's the line I have on the website? Freedom of thought is a universal human right. Like we should be able to choose how we think, what we, you know, it's about combating the systems that uh, place limits on, on a person's autonomy. And, you know, I get that that's done to make society work. We all have to follow certain rules to live together. Mm-hmm. But there's that. And then there's the um, use of people to support a person in power. Right. Um, I have two questions. I'll ask them one at a time. So you can answer them both. Yeah, ask them slow. This isn't easy for me. <laughs> You're doing great. Um, okay. So one question, we're going all the way back to when you said you were already looking into um, like past live type stuff. I was wondering mm-hmm. if that was something that was kind of bred from to you in the classes and then you explored more. Like, did you kind of like, go to the classes because you are already looking into this stuff or did they, or did you see the classes and say, Oh, let me try this. And then you kind of got breadcrumbed in. Yeah, no. So I was, I was raised born in 66 and raised with two young hippies. Uh, my, my mom was 18. My dad was 19 when they had me. So, and this was, you know, as the whole machine of the counterculture was spinning up. And, you know, my dad got into a lot of, um, you know, different ways of thinking about things and and spirituality. Um, You know, he was trying to get free from his own controlling parenthood so you know I was a a flower child I was a hippie girl um so I was exposed to a lot of stuff through my dad and even you know my my first culty experience was actually um you know 
six or so, five, my dad was into Guru Maharaji, which was one of the gurus that was popular at the in the 70s, in the early 70s. Um, so the idea of past lives was already sort of introduced there. I hung out with the Hare Krishna lady across the street. So I got exposed to the whole... Um, you know, the Bhagavad Gita and, and, you know, chanting. And I used to chant my Hare Krishna chant, passing the Doberman picture on the way to school to get me safely to the other side. <laughs> yeah, so I, I had been exposed to a lot of spiritual systems early, early on. Okay. So alternative yeah. spiritual systems. Yeah. Because what I was thinking about was how we know that there are other groups. Um, you know, I'm thinking I'm thinking of like a very strong uh right wing political group that we know uses a lot of um, you know, they take one thing that, you know, most people would say is true. You don't need to necessarily look it up and then you end up being like, oh, well, this must be true, and this must be true, and this must be true, and it sounded kind of like that was what was happening with you, of like, you had, so you already had this core of knowledge of, you know, that lifestyle that you were brought up in, and then this kind of fell in line, and then it just expanded and expanded and expanded, and there was no, I mean, for this topic in general, there really isn't an authority to go to and be like, ah, this is true, right? Like it's all kind of based in theory. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is the thing. I mean, and so, yeah, I, I had an exposure to, to alternative and I say alternative, but I mean, some cultures, Hindu religion is not the alternative, right? But in United States, this was all stuff that was being imported to us. Right. Um, basically started with, I think, the Beatles bringing in the Maharishi and it became trendy. And then, you know, people are latching on to something that's different from what they got raised in. Um, but there's this kind of amalgam of spirituality and religion that's happening in the 70s in the counterculture we saw that also with the children of god only they went to jesus instead of buddha or or hindu stuff um but you know these belief systems you entertain these ideas and i will tell you for me personally i had through my own drug experiences psychedelic experiences you know i had the idea that there was a creator that there was some kind of beautiful thread that bound all of life i had these spiritual experiences that made me think you know one of the things that i think happens or that is promoted in new age philosophy is you know we're spiritual beings having a human experience not human beings having a spiritual experience right so you know i had that kind of understanding and or had that sense that was my lived experience from my own um explorations and 
because I already believed that, then the idea that having a spiritual teacher that would guide me to release my ego would make me more spiritual. But that construct of, well, I'm going to release my ego and be of service um, and do all, you know, do all these things that are potentially um, demeaning or, you know, not reaching for something that's a, a higher value. Like I didn't go to college because I was in a cult. So, you know, I was in this cycle of being of service to the cult rather than doing something that would eventually build my ability to live a, a productive, healthy adult life, right? So by believing one thing and then taking on something else my my husband likes to say a plus b equals d you know just because one thing meets is true and then something that's got a little bit of a thread of truth in it you know so you can kind of believe that it it takes you each time you make that jump from one uh, thing that that you know is true or that you feel is true, and then you go down and keep believing the little threads of something, you finally wind up in some territory that's like truly off course. Right. So... I think that for most things, you know, so we kind of talked about how you start out because something's really good, right? And then, you know, you just kind of are along for the ride for a while, right? Until you finally wake up and realize that you're in a bad situation. But so, like, have you noticed any, like, I don't know even how to word this question or even if it is a question to be answered necessarily, but what I guess I'm trying to talk about is, I'm going to use Nexium as an example because I think it's really applicable to the multi-level marketing space because Nexium was a multi-level marketing company that turned into something so much more. And it's such a good example of how this commercial cult can turn into something bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more dangerous. I guess I'm wondering like, where is that line? And like, you know, like, and I, maybe this is a question, maybe I need to try to get Sarah Edmondson on here, but, um, you know, like, where is that line? Like, when did it become something dangerous? Mm -hmm. You know? That is a great question. And one that I am really, I wonder, I have wondered a lot. Um, the life cycle of the cult. Right. When does the idea that started the organization or the, the, the group, when does it turn into something destructive? And, you know, we're not two-dimensional people. Right. Anybody that starts a group 
that decides, you know, I'm a leader and I have something to offer and I've got this great idea. I've got a better way to do things and I'm going to help everybody because I have this vision. Yeah. Right. I think most cult leaders start out that way, you right. know, have this, this idea that they have, you know, something that other people don't have that will really benefit people. And there might be an altruistic idea. I'm going to really, I'm going to help people. I'm going to save the world. I'm going to offer this entirely different way to, to live. And, you know, it's going to solve so many problems. Right. And then more in, you know, so people are attracted to that, that buzz, that, that idea that, you know, they, they attach to the concept and when people attach to those concepts, then the leader is supported, you know, and this is specifically to, to groups that have a, a, a person at the top, they attach to the concept and support the leader in that concept. And the leader of that organization or group gets that that hit. It's the same kind of dopamine hit somebody gets when they're building their social media platforms and are getting more and more followers. You know, you can, I've experienced it myself, just the, the feeling of it in building I got out as we get more and more people involved and and you know people are really resonating with the concept of of hashtag I got out um you know you get this sense of you know I'm really doing something great and when a leader takes the idea that it's them and not the the concept you know, then you start the cookie monster, the nom, 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 and they want to take all that energy in for themselves. And then the negative aspects of that person, in my view, get empowered. And I think when somebody that has a certain type of personality gets that empowerment, they then become addicted to that cycle of being fed. Yes. Um, that makes a lot of sense to me. I think that you said it really well that, you know, and I think that's why um, in MLM people keep, you know, I said before, they refer to it as like, you know, like kind of a cult. They're like, it's a cult, but not like a cult cult. And people will say things like that and downgrade their experiences. I think it's because there are so many leaders in MLM. So there's no, Mm -hmm. and MLM is so vast too. Like, you know, is it the CEO of the company or is it the boss babe next door, you know, or driving the Cadillac or whatever. Um, And so there are so many people that could be considered the head that, it makes it very confusing. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the pieces that makes people not think that MLMs are a commercial cult. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
well, you get to see how, you know, I think Sarah and Nippy talk a lot about the flying monkeys, you know, the people mm-hmm. that are supporting the head, the group and, and becoming carbon copies. Like I talked about early on taking on the personality and it wasn't, I wasn't taking, I didn't have the kind of personality that would become like a cult leader, like the leader of my group, but I took on his ideas yeah. and I took on certainly the concept of what he thought I should be, who I should be. Um but I think you're going to talk about, I mean, this is, this is such an interesting thing with MOMs and, you t- you know, having the personality, because there's something, there's something that, you know, for myself, I find really repulsive about MOM shtick. Yeah. Because of the the push of the cult of personality. It's like the, that you have to act the certain way to get the money and the, to, to, so you're being fit into this mold of, you know, how you need to have your hair done and your nails and the, whatever the presentation to be able to sell this product. And it's very cookie cutter, right? Right. Absolutely. So I've always found, you know, all the, the, the Instagram influencer and, you know, boss babe stuff really obnoxious. Uh, and maybe that's just because I don't have that personality. I could never pull it off. <laughs> it's I think a losing that's what, battle. <laughs> that's what saves so many people is that like, I could never do what you do. And, you know, and people, and the, you know, the boss babes are like, yes, you can, anyone can. And it's, it's the people that are like, no, I, I really can't <laughs> that, mm-hmm. you know, get saved from uh, having to go through that at all. Um, so I wanted to pivot you to how did you get out? And mm. how did I got out get started? Right. Um, well, in the 30 years I was there, I had a uh, you know, a, a lot of push-pull, a lot of cracks, or, you know, I think Yanya talks about Yanya Lawich. She's, um, she's a cult expert, and fortunately, now a really amazing colleague that uh, is associated. She's a collaborator for I Got Out. Um, she talks about the shelf, mm-hmm. and, you know, all these, like, things that happen that get set on the shelf and eventually the shelf will break. Right. And I actually just finished writing. I'm, I'm working on my book on my memoir, but I just finished writing a piece about probably one of the biggest cracks that happened for me. Um, Oh, that's a long story. Yeah. But the point, I will have to say, you know, without going into that story, I think it was the tension between wanting to be a creative person 
and having all this stuff inside of me that I wanted to make, that I wanted to create, that I wanted to bring into form out of my mind and into form. And it, it, it was in a lot of different areas over the course of many years and having that, that, uh, effort or that desire to create stifled. And, you know, I went through so many phases. My job in my group was to support, to support creativity. But if I tried to do anything on my own, you know, that was my own thing. It was, it, it just wasn't allowed. I wasn't given space to, to do that. And if I did do that, it was on the sneak. And if, if I, you know, let it out of the bag that I was doing something, the effort would get squashed. And there was a certain point when I had been working on creating something with my now husband that, um, I realized that I would never be able to create this thing if I stayed, you know, that there were, there were things inside of me that I would never, you know, at 50 years old, I would never have the opportunity to, to see come forward out of me to really test who, what I'm made of, what I can actually do with myself. And yeah, it was, um, I guess it was that realization that really hit home. And, you know, there, there was all kinds of conversations and instances. And that's a whole, that's for the book. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, you realize that living if you live inside of the controlling system you never get to find out what you're made of right you're projecting your power onto somebody else and saying you can do the good thing you know you're the one who has the voice that can speak up that can make the world better or whatever and i'll just have to support your mission and you know the power really rests in the individual if you give it away you'll never find out what you're made of. Right. Yeah. Well, um, you know, so how did, how did, how did I, I got out start? Yes. Was that the next one? Yes. yes, 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 yes. <laughs> that was the next one. But what were you going to say? I don't want to cut you I off. I was just going to say, it just sounds like, you know, maybe when you're all done with your book, you might need to come back and, you know, tell us about your book so that people will go and read it. And yeah, we can hear more of your story. We might we might just need to have you back. <laughs> well, and and I've got to get all that stuff out of me. I saw something. Um, oh, I'll have to pull it up. Something that um, one of the authors that we featured in October said that was. Let me just see if I can find it super quick because it was priceless. It was like, yes. I can only imagine how. Um, cathartic it must be to write a memoir about your experience is it is your memoir like including your cult experience mm -hmm. so yeah. yeah it must be cathartic yeah. to write like through all of that but also to see that your life is more than that well and that's that yeah you know when you ask that question is it about the cult um 
one of the things that I realized very early on in starting the project is that I didn't want to give the cult so much real estate. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it is, you know, still the majority of my life. I'm 56 and, you know, is in for 30 years. So it's still, you know, it's a lot, Yeah. but it's also not the the whole thing. Right. And um, that's also one of the things that I got out is really about is supporting people to tell their stories. Right. So um, writing a memoir is just another long story. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're working on some really fun stuff. Um, We'll have to talk about that, but I want to read this. Yes. Many people have a book in them, but it takes a special kind of freak to leave the land of laziness, cross the plains of procrastination and insecurity mountain, find the blade of no one made you do this, and use it to cut your chest open and yank that book out. Wow. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) that is intense. (laughs) Yeah, well, and if you read Daniela, this is from Daniela Mestignac Young, her her book, Uncultured, I just finished it, and it it is stunning. It's It's an incredible book. And one of the interesting things about her story and the way that she told it is she um she was raised in the children of god got out and joined the military and so she is comparing her experience with the children of god and that cult type environment to the military and how culty that environment is oh yeah so when you look at the parallels of cults to MLMs well you can look at cults to the military cults to the you know so it's I think we're really right now in the process of redefining the word cult a lot of people are using cult in now we're talking about like Amanda Montel cultish or or culty it's on the spectrum Right. It's definitely, I definitely agree that there's a spectrum and this, I think that it kind of goes from, you know, like, as they say on, uh, on Amanda Montel's show, um, like a live your life cult to uh, get the fuck out cult. I, I, I do right. like that, that spectrum that they have. I'll live your life, watch your back, get the fuck out. I, I think that that's, such a good way to capture uh talking about these groups because you know and like everything can be measured on like that scale for different reasons too like but here's the thing here's the thing mm-hmm. the watch your back cult might have been my cult five years in right the get the fuck out cult was the one I was in at your you know, 2025, or actually probably closer to year 10. (laughs) But, you know, it's when we talked about how, you know, what's the switch? Mm -hmm. 
is that that watch your back cult could just be the get your get the fuck out cult early on. Right. It's like that cult's now being led by somebody who is in the cycle of having that ego engrandizement thing happen to them where you know now their their narcissism is being empowered and they're going to start seeing how they can leverage all of this attention for their own gain right and so i don't see it as a static thing right no i think you're right i think you're totally right because i mean any of these things right so i mean let, let's just say lularoe we'll just take lularoe and it started out as you know a basic legging company actually i think it started out as maxi skirts um uh, so <laughs> which i know. still have one i have one <laughs> <laughs> i still have a pair of the black leggings um but you know like we it starts out as something so simple and so basic and so innocent you know seeming and then you know whatever the motivation switch is um and in mlm i think the the pretty obvious motivation switch is money. Um, mm. And I think in more classic, I guess, cult groups, uh, it could be um, like power or, you know, just kind of having, I guess this is power, but like kind of having control over a lot of people and having a lot of people look up to you that like ego stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there, it could be sex, it could be money, it could be power. Um, it, it could be really anything that people want. Right. That just right. changes. Like if you get hungry for it, it's going to change your motivation and it's going to change the way you see yourself in the group and the motivation. Behind exactly. It. Yeah. So tell us about how I got out started. So, um, you talk about sex being a motivator you know I definitely think you know we were we were known in some places in some circles as a sex cult Mm -hmm. uh you know people on the outside so as I'm watching the vow and seeing how uh how that story was unfolding and I think in episode five, the whole incident, you know, the whole ordeal of the branding stuff happened, you know, came out and they were talking about the branding. And at that point, I was just like, you know, I'm watching my whole, you know, I, I was in the, in, uh, my position in the group eventually was that of like Keith Ramirez in our circle of yeah. being a quote-unquote sex life. And at that point when that episode dropped, I did a Google search for sadism in, in cults. I can't, I, I've got a note of exactly what my Google search was, but I came up with this paper, this Elsevier um, academic paper talking about uh coercive like this situation with this cult leader in Jerusalem and anyways at any 
at any rate, the paper talked about the court case of the guy actually being held accountable because of the fact that the people that were in his cult, the women in his cult, could not consent to, you know, they, they his claim, of course, was that the sex was consensual and and the court determined that it wasn't consensual because of the coercive control in the group. And that was a light bulb moment for me when I realized that there's, you know, here we've got Keith Ranieri being held accountable for his crimes in that cult. Here's another cult leader being held accountable, albeit in Jerusalem. But there was room for justice, you know, that we're we're starting to get to a point in our society when we're saying that's not consensual, that that things that happen, you know, in these controlling environments, women mostly being uh, made to do things in an effort to please or serve or whatever. So that was a light bulb moment for me. Um, I reached out to Sarah Edmondson when that light bulb went off. And, you know, she was in the middle of, of actually watching the vow in real time. I don't know. That, that was kind of an interesting thing when I found that out is, is they hadn't had a chance. None of the people had had a chance to preview the vow as it was, you know, before it came out, they were watching it in real time as it came out. So it's an interesting fact just because, you know, the same um, revelations or things, you know, Everybody was seeing this content for the first time all in unison. And so I think that added to the power of the vow. And it also added to certainly Sarah's receptivity of all these people that were reaching out to her, you know, trying to like kind of come to grips with what they were seeing. Yeah. So she was getting a lot of messages of support and, and stuff. And I was right in there with them all. And she was very um, gracious in, in how she was responding to all these people, myself included, which just kept me thinking more about what survivors need. You know, what is it? What would I have needed when I was 19? What would... You know, at the time I was uh, kind of cut off from my daughter, which was another factor of why I was looking at what would she need if she ever wanted to reckon with her cultic upbringing. Um, so there's all these things that were happening at the same time with the vow. And this was also leading up to the election cycle the 20, you know, 2020 election cycle. And I had 
wanted to ask Sarah, you know, I had been following Steve Hassan and of course had read his book and Combating Cult Mind Control, which is awesome. And also Yanya Lalich's book, Take Back Your Life. Highly recommend those for anybody that's processing through this information or reckoning with their with their potential potentially culty situation that they're dealing with. Those two books. At any rate, I had been thinking I wanted to ask Sarah for an introduction to Steve, and I had before that bought the domain igotout.org and had a vision for the nonprofit that I was going to build. So I was already playing with all these ideas and I had all this, you know, I, uh, vision of what people would need. And I saw Steve Hassan on Twitter use the hashtag, hashtag I got out. So I was like, huh. <laughs> so I called his office and asked him, you know, told his secretary everything that I thought I wanted to do with I got out.org. And which also did include a hashtag movement. And uh, his secretary asked me to write that all down on an email and send it to me because he's actually meeting with a couple people in just a couple hours to talk about um, this idea of a hashtag movement. I was like, cool. So I wrote down the whole thing, sent it off to him and was invited to that very meeting. And that is when I met Steve, Mark Laxer, and Jurette, Jurette Bullion. Uh, so that was the first time that I met her. And within a few, you know, that meeting, then the next meeting was the next day. And uh, we came up with the whole idea that we would launch in tandem with the sentencing of Keith Ranieri. And I brought Sarah into the next meeting. And within five days, we had the first website up and it was a launch. <laughs> wow. I think that that's one of the things that's really, really cool about the anti-cult space is that there is there are so many people willing to collaborate with people and we do it for the greater good, right? You know what I mean? It's all about helping people and moving forward and seeing what we can do to help each other. And it's honestly just so cool and so beautiful um, because I think in so many ways, most of us in culty spaces are looking for community or stayed because of the community or whatever. And um, being a part of the creator community in the anti-MLM slash anti-cult space has just been so cool. Like when Michelle introduced me to you guys, I was like, wait, what? Like, right. they want to talk to me? <laughs> <laughs> That's, and you're exactly right about the collaborative, that, you know, the collaboration that exists today in the cult space is actually quite different than how it has been. Mm -hmm. And I will say that's turned the corner, you know, and I, 
obviously wasn't in the cult space before 2020 in terms of cult recovery. Um, but from what I've been able to observe, I don't think that it's been like that mm -hmm. before 2020. There were a lot of um, cult experts and academics and, um, you know, what do you call them? The uh, uh, I can't think of the term, but when somebody go goes and gets somebody out. At any rate, you know, there there. Mm, no, I can't think of the word. It's okay. All right. Uh, but I think that it was or has been previously pretty competitive especially in academia there's there's like the whole um religion apologists versus the the cult people like there's people that go well religion you know that's just a, a or what's that phrase um a cult is just a religion that hasn't grown uh hasn't matured <laughs> Yeah. So this idea that, you know, we should allow these belief systems to happen. Um, so I think there's, there's been a lot of friction in this space. Yeah. I can previously. also see that. I can also see that. And I think what's happened just with this new sort of visibility and awareness is that people that are that are speaking out now are much more willing to explore the territory um, in a more collaborative way. And that's also, you know, when we started hashtag I got out, the hashtag itself was what we were rallying behind. You know, that that was that's that was the reason for creating the website in the first place was not to to promote the web, the hashtag wasn't to promote the website or, you know, this loose collection of, of people that were involved in the project. It was to support and define what this hashtag was supposed to mean. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the hashtag came about because of how everybody's stories usually start out, you know, when somebody talks about a coercive experience that they were involved in, it usually starts with, I got out of X, Y, Z, or, you know, this or that because of whatever. But that's the, that's the beginning of the story is I got out. And with I got out, the, the goal has been from the very beginning to have I got out be the unifier between all of these coercive experiences that people are in because the dynamics are all the same, right? So we're not talking, you know, when you talk about um, getting out of one thing, well, if you don't learn the dynamics of what got you there in the first place and how you get sucked in, then it's very likely that you'll be able or you will be victim to another. Cause like you said, we are looking for that community. Right. We're social creatures. We want connection. Yeah. Um, 
I also think that there, I mean, there, there is, there is definitely still competition in the community. You're right. I try to stay blind to it, but um, I do know it exists, but I think that there are definitely people here too that are saying it, this is going to be way more successful if we work together. Mm-hmm. Like the more that we can band together and, you know, even if some of the thoughts or beliefs or structures around things are a little bit different. If we can hear each other and make space for each other, we're going to, we're going to help so many more people. And that's, that's the bottom line, right? That is the bottom line. That is. And, you know, for I got out, this was kind of an interesting thing at the very beginning. I wasn't in a place where I felt like I could be visible um, I was anonymous for the last, you know, almost two years. I've only since, uh, I don't know, last summer, this, you know, a few months ago started showing my face. Um, and the idea with I Got Out as a platform was that we could provide a space for people to share their stories that weren't ready to be visible yet, but did want to, you know, say what happened to them in an effort to to help other people either reckon with what happened to them or to prevent the next, you know, person from being harmed by a cultic group. So one of the things that was built in to I Got Out was offering the platform for people who wanted to be anonymous. And I think that's been, um, you know, it's been, it's been a really important part of I Got Out. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's so much power in having the anonymous story and having the, um anonymous groups I think that there is so much to that like I said it's so much easier to get that mirror effect from people um and it's just so cool and amazing what you guys are doing um and I think this is a really great segue to tell everyone that if you're listening there is still time for you to submit your MLM cult story to I got out and um we're going to be collaborating and reading some of those on uh, me and Roberta's podcast uh, at the end of the month is the plan. So um, yeah. So I think that that will be amazing. And then what do you guys do with the stories that are submitted? Yeah. So we have um, different buttons all over the place on the website. I got out.org that leads to a form and people can add their, you know, word document of their story. They can make their own slides for, you know, social media or just submit some pictures that they think look good with the story. But basically people can choose where they want their story um, to live. If they want it on just social media, we put it up on our Instagram page. Um, there's also a link on the link tree on our bio that's a share your story link. It goes to the same Google form to upload your story. And then they go on the website. Um, if you choose to, they can be on the website or they can just be on social media. Um, 
So yeah. Yeah. So many exciting things. And is there anything that we should look forward to in the future from I got out? Like what should people expect from you? Any anything different than we've already said? I don't know. We didn't plan that question. Well, <laughs> no, it's it's great. Um so I got out has basically been volunteer driven mostly with my work and Charette's work with support of other people and, and of course others um, sending their stories. But we're at a phase right now where I think we're ready to take the next step into moving towards nonprofithood. Um, we just signed with a fiscal sponsor so we can take donations now. Uh, we're working out a way to be able to do that easily and quickly online with uh, online payment. Right now, you have to write a check to our fiscal sponsor. But um, we're in this journey of moving towards having our own nonprofit and looking at raising funds for the work that I think the community wants and expects from I Got Out uh, to happen. Um, there's, it's now grown after two years to be more than what two people can do. Yeah. So we're looking at hiring people to do some of this work, you know, making, making stories, all the administrative stuff. Um, you know, there's just no, no end in sight for cult stories and the, the need for people to hear them Absolutely. and uh you know there's there's so much there's so much that that we'd like to see happen so um yeah we're so, looking for volunteers <laughs> we're looking for money <laughs> we've got Absolutely. all kinds of big ideas <laughs> so where before i ask you my final question um they can find it's, it's just I got out.org, right? Like they don't, it's not any, and then I got out on Instagram, anywhere else they can find you. Um, so our handle on Instagram and Twitter is I got out underscore org. Okay. Uh, we have a YouTube channel. I haven't been able to put much attention to it at all. There is some great content on there now, though. Um, but not near as much. That's another wing of I got out that I really want to build is telling yeah. stories through visual form. Um, you know, the, the, the place that we focus the most has really been on Instagram. Yeah. Um, but there's so much learning. Like I, I don't know how to do audiograms yet. I don't know how to do, you know, the story clips. I, I can't do it all. Right. It's a lot. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot of learning. And that's one of the most wonderful things really for me that has happened with I Got Out is it's a channel for me to learn. Even, you know, having these kinds of conversations that, I mean, seriously awkward for me, you know, because I lived for 30 years of living just a script. Right. right. I mean, I had a position in my group where 
I was a supporter. I didn't really t talk and, and get to form up these ideas. That was, that was his job. He yeah. was the mouthpiece. And so, you know, the whole concept of being able to articulate my experience, the concepts that, that are, I got out, it's all new territory and it's awkward. And I don't know that it would be that way so much for people that got out of MLMs because it's such a salesy thing, but maybe it is. Um, and Well, one of the things that we didn't really talk about is all the guilt and shame and like embarrassment that uh, we have over here. I mean, I'm sure you guys have your own flavor of that too, but there's a, there's a lot of that in this space mm -hmm. for us um, because when we get out, we have to recognize that we tried to recruit everyone in our lives that we loved or love. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. That's a, um, the term that I've really come to embrace with that is moral injury. Mm. I like and that. I haven't heard that before. When when you're in these culty groups or high control systems, our efforts are leveraged to do the thing, whatever the thing is in the group. And we become, by that effort, the abuser, Yeah. right? You know, we do things, we sacrifice our autonomy, we do the sales pitch, we try to recruit these other people in. You know, there's all kinds of things that we do in these systems that once you leave and you get out and you reflect, it's like, I can't believe I fucking did that. Yeah. I can't believe I let that happen to someone I cared about. Right. I can't believe that I turned my back on somebody who loved me. Right. I can't, you know, so there's all these things that we have to wrestle with, not just our own pain right. of what happened to us, but what we did or allowed to happen to people that we cared about. And I think that, right there is probably one of the hardest things for people to reckon with coming out of an abusive system because you know it's really easy to go point the finger at somebody who did you wrong but when you were the one who was doing wrong you know that's a that's a bitter pill and it requires a lot of understanding of how these systems work and compassion for who you were yeah just trying to do the best you could with what you were tasked with whatever it was yeah right all right are you ready for my last question sure okay so normally i ask people what their anti-mlm why is because uh in mlm we had to have a why and it was always like have a why that makes you cry because it makes it more believable and people are more drawn to you when you have a powerful why for why you're in MLM 
Um, so I guess I'm going to change it for you and say, what's your anti-cult why? Like why, what was my why for why I was in? Is that it? No. So what is your why for why you're doing what you're doing now? Oh, what empowers my activism? Yes. Mm. Well, I will say it has changed, you know, from the very beginning when I started, you know, and I said this a while ago, I wanted to create the resource that I would have needed as, you know, a young person trying to figure out, you know, where, how, how to manage life, right? I think this information, all the, the, the stuff with the red flags and all that is needed for all people. But why do I do it now? And I will say one of the things that's a really, it's a thought, it's a thought provoking question. I can take my time with this one, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a pat answer. You know, it's the, it's, I get the why all the time. Like when I hear somebody's story and am able to amplify that story through our platforms and have that person feel so validated by being seen and acknowledged you know that's a huge why yeah because I know what that feels like um, and that's one of the reasons why it was really important for me to make our platforms accessible to people who did need to be anonymous because, you know, they could write their story and, and it would have nowhere to go, or maybe they would put it out on, you know, bear their soul on their own platform. And, you know, the, the content would, would potentially be seen by people that are still in or don't agree with them or, or, don't get any acknowledgement at all, you know, so it was really important for, for me, especially, but I think all of us to create that space for people to be seen. Nothing hurts more than to bear your soul and have nobody give a shit. Yep. You know, and I think that one of the things that we've been able to do with I Got Out is have people be able to be seen a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more as we grow this community and do these cross pollinizations of different types of groups. So, you know, that's one thing. Um, you know, when I started it, I, like I said, I had been um, not speaking to my daughter for several months and it was actually probably uh, over 
almost a year before, you know, and we've only been doing it for two. So it was almost a year before um, I started talking with my daughter and that I told her what I was doing. And for me, one of the biggest whys was that I wanted to make it right for her. You know, you talk about the moral injury and, you know, things happened, you know, bringing a kid up in a cult is, I don't recommend it. Bad things happen. And I felt the need to atone for that. And, um, you know, I had originally wanted her to find I got out on her own and have it be the platform, the content, the the material that helped her navigate her own experience. And um, I blew the whistle, you know, it didn't blow the whistle, but I, I let the cat out of the bag and told her what I had been doing. And it actually, you know, in the time that we were not talking to the time when I told her about I got out and the months after that, it's been, I'd say a huge bridge of healing between us. Yeah. You know, that, that, that my work and the fact that I'm dedicating, you know, at least right now, a lot of my time and effort to, to helping other people has atoned, you know, our relationship is mending and, you know, it's, it's, that's a huge journey for me in this. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Um, You know, that reminds me of the phrase, you know, you go to therapy because of people that don't go to therapy and like the people that are in therapy because of the people that don't go to therapy are looking for you know, their parents to do the work. And what you did is such a gift uh, for your Mm -hmm. daughter to see that you were doing the work and you were growing and trying to heal. And I I think that's so powerful and so moving. And um, I'm so glad that you guys have been able to repair over the work that you've done. Like, Mm -hmm. that's amazing and beautiful. I couldn't live my life without it. Yeah, it it wouldn't, you know, some things you just can't, uh, you can't go on with, you have to face it, you have to deal with it. And, um, you know, even if that hadn't happened, my thinking was, well, if it doesn't mend for us, it'll help somebody else. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank yeah. you. So fortunately, much. <laughs> fortunately, it, it happened and it worked and it's yeah. working. And, you know, she's proud of me and what I've created. And I'm proud of her and what she's doing with her life. And things are really good. Yeah. Thank you so much, Lisa, for sharing and just I think this is an amazing conversation and I, I think it's so valuable. And again, like you are welcome back anytime. And I, I just think that these conversations are so welcome and so needed. So thank you a million for being here today. And yeah. 
Thanks for being such a good interviewer. I, I'm glad uh, if anybody makes it to the end of this, I think the end was better than the beginning. <laughs> you know, sometimes you got to get the jitters out. <laughs> oh, the awkwardness. Yeah. 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 But all right, everyone. I hope that you have a fabulous weekend and go check out I Got Out dot org and their Instagram because you're going to find so many powerful stories there and feel free to submit your own because your voice needs to be heard too especially if you're not wanting to come on the podcast I mean the door is always open but if you're one of those people that are like not me not me I got out might be the perfect (laughs) place for you to share your story um so yeah I hope you all have a great weekend and bye Hey, Huns, I just wanted to take a second to tell you guys about Acorn. And no, this is not a sponsored ad. Acorn is a robo-investing account that I've been using to manage my money since I've started my own small business. I honestly had no idea what I was doing in regards to saving for the future, but knew I needed to start somewhere and thought this was a great way to get the ball rolling. I really like the interactive graphics and watching what's going on with my money. If this is something that you feel interested in, feel free to click the link in my bio to start your own Acorn account, and we'll both get $5 added in our accounts for our investing future. Happy savings!